Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. Well, my first guest this morning, she just won a BAFTA for her role as Sister Michael in the brilliant Channel 4 television series Derry Girls. Her acceptance speech was unsurprisingly the best of the night. Born in County Cork, Siobhan McSweeney is a multi-talented actor and presenter with great acting roles recently in Disney's extraordinary The Drama Holding. Plus, in her spare time, she presents the hugely popular Great Pottery Throwdown. And right now, she's on stage in London at the National Theatre in Dancing at Lunasa. Her first love was the stage and next month she's going to be performing in Samuel Beckett's Happy Days in Cork and Dublin, produced by Landmark Productions in association with Three Olympia. And I'm thrilled to say I'm now joined by Siobhan. Good morning, Siobhan McSweeney. Good morning, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations. I think I, like many others, I was screaming at the television. I was so delighted when you won your BAFTA. What was that moment like for you? Oh, that's so kind of you. People have been just so wonderful since it's happened. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I was a bit um, bewildered. Well, I, I think it was very apparent that I was very bewildered. I didn't think that category would come up so soon. I certainly didn't think it would be the first one announced. So when people around me were sort of shuffling to get ready, I was convinced that it was for best scripted comedy. So um, I got very confused. I, I, I didn't realise it would be so early on. But I, um, I, I, my mind went blank and I sort of had to be shuffled out of my seat <laughs> and, and pointed in the direction of the stage. I, I genuinely didn't expect to win. I wanted to win. You always want to win these things. And a BAFTA is something that when you're a small girl wanting to be an actor, that's definitely one of the ones that you make up your, your, your speeches um, speaking into the mirror in the, in the mm. bathroom when you're young. Because they do matter, don't they? I mean, like we all say, if we win, it doesn't matter that much. But it really does matter for you now in the prime of your career to win that BAFTA at that night in that audience means a lot, doesn't it, Siobhan? It it, it really does. Um, I mean, it's 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 a bit it's a bit like reviews. When the reviews mm. say that you're brilliant, they're obviously <laughs> very smart people. If they say otherwise, <laughs> then you ignore them. They don't matter at all. But the thing about a BAFTA, which is different to a lot of other awards, is that you're judged by your peers. You know, there's a panel, an anonymous panel who judge you. So it it feels like there's a bit of um, um, authenticity, perhaps. Maybe I'm maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion, but a little bit of it. It, it was it was the one I wanted, the one I wanted. Um, the weekend before, I had been nominated for. Uh, the Iftas, which mm. is another one I'd I'd have loved to to have won for the part I played in Holding, and that is a very similar yeah. similar setup. Um, but quite rightly, Sharon Horgan won for that for Bad Sisters, the the amazing Bad Sisters. Absolutely, I mean it was an amazing night, not just at the Iftas, but at the Baftas for so many Irish people, wasn't it? I mean, all the photographs that came out of you and Sharon. I mean, it was such a good night for the Irish. It was, it was, and uh, a real testament to to the talent we have on the island, really, and to, like, it's not just you have the people in front of the camera, like myself and Charmbo, you know, you have Karen, Karen Cogan, who co-wrote Holding, who was also one of the writers on Bad Sisters. You have an awful lot of people mm-hmm. behind the camera as well, um, extremely talented from Ireland. So, yeah, it was a great night for Ireland, but I think showing how if you nurture and invest in that industry, it yields results. We have the talent, we just need the uh, 
the, the, the money to be put into it. <laughs> I loved the story you told about your mum. For anyone who didn't watch your speech, <laughs> will you just say what you said about the Bon Secours? And did you plan on mentioning your mother or did that just come out? Oh, I had, I mean, I, when I got nominated, I vowed that I would not shy away from any of it out of mortification or out of like fear. So I thought, well, I'm going to enjoy every, because I didn't think I would win. I was saying I was going to enjoy every single second. And part of the enjoyment is writing the speech, right? Yeah. So I knew, I knew that I would be, I knew what I would be saying and I knew that I would be mentioning my mom. And unfortunately, I wanted to mention my dad and I wanted to mention my, my aunt Betsy, who, who have also passed away subsequently. But for my mom, especially because my dad got to see some of the success with Jerry Girls, but my mom never got to see anything. And I know that she worried dreadfully, quite understandably so, um, that her daughter was going into an industry that is inherently foolish. So even 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 on her deathbed, she was like, would you not consider doing the H dip? I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a great moment. You brought the house down with that. It's a typical Irish mammy response, isn't it? You know, like yeah. uh, you often hear that every mother wants their children to be happy, but I think it's more that they want them to be safe. And embarking on a career in uh, in acting is certainly not the safe route. And neither of us expected it to be as um, as uh, for me to be as lucky as I have been. And it was a brilliant speech to paraphrase. You thank the people at Derry. You called on politicians everywhere. Dublin stormed Westminster to wise up. I think as your sister, sister Michael would put it. And you also, I mm-hmm. think I heard you say to Lenny Henry as he walked you off the end of your speech, you said, I'm shaking. I mean, was it just like kind of a reaction to what had happened? I, I, I'm, I, I've never had a reaction like that. I was, I was actually shaking. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You see, there's this, I mean, Mary, you must have this as well. Like there's a certain persona, not a persona you put on, but like mm. as an actor, you're not yourself. You can, you're be. that's what I love about being an actor. You're never yourself. You get to live other people's <laughs> lives. So the idea of standing up there and doing a speech, the idea of winning, the idea of any of these things, it's, it's you're very um, vulnerable in it because it's you. You can't hide behind a, a character or better writing like Lisa McGee's. You also looked really beautiful and that red dress was amazing. And I thought what you said was so important. You tell me who it's from and that you deliberately wore it because you didn't want to wear anything from a designer who would not normally design for you. Yeah, um, which sounds very grandiose, but it was sort of a bit more simplistic than that. Um, When you are um, lucky enough to be nominated for these things, um, these amazingly talented and brilliant designers uh, quite often get in touch and offer to dress you. Um, And when you are um, uh, somebody who possesses a body that the fashion industry thinks is an outlier or Mm. uh, (laughs) an anomaly, even though it's literally the average, um, then it would just seem, I don't know, it would seem pretty counterintuitive and pretty hypocritical to go with a designer who doesn't um, who doesn't always design for bodies that include mine, you mm. know. And I I have a few designers. There's the amazing uh, Sarah O'Neill um, in the north of Ireland who did, the last time I went to the BAFTAs, she did this. She does these extraordinary uh, yeah. silk illustrations and I wore a beautiful kimono. 
belonging to her and she she is all about the person not the body it's Mm. it's you're dressing for the person and I have a a, a few other designers that I'm lucky enough to work with but they weren't available for this for various reasons so I I went back on a dress that I had bought about a year ago from fashion brand company which is an American brand company which are really really fun uh, women-centered a very small business and uh, designed for a whole variety of uh, of shapes and sizes that that encapsulate the entire human body, really. Mm. So this, I just bought it off the rail, and that's 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 the thing as well. Like uh, people people are interested in fashion. I'm interested in fashion, and we are saying something with everything that we wear. And uh, I I felt comfortable. I felt beautiful. Um, and I, I couldn't have been happier with what I picked. I also had like um, runners. I also had trainers on because since I broke my leg a year and a half ago, well, actually, even before that, I would never wear heels anyway. I mean, heels. Mm. What are heels about? Miriam, do you wear heels? Hardly ever. Mind you, I'm a giant. I'm five foot ten. <laughs> so, but rarely. <laughs> You'd be towering. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a towering presence anyway, Miriam. You don't yeah. need the heels. No, but I saw you wore the Air Jordans, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. 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 And they were very comfy. Very, very comfy. And what sure, about, I mean, it's a long day. Yeah. I think actually COVID did that as well. A lot of people I know who were wearing high shoes, they don't wear them anymore because it got it became OK to wear runners everywhere. Yeah. And I think I think there is an inherent um, things become very clear in the middle of a pandemic, don't they? Mm. Uh, when you're when you're dealing with literally life and death situations, Having a high heel, you have to question what is the purpose of this? Can mm-hmm. I run for a bus in this? Can I run away from whatever I need to in this? I don't know. High heels seem very silly to me, but I would say that because I can't wear them. Now, we, we mentioned your mum earlier and we're going to get to the fact that your first love is the stage. You're on it in the National Theatre. You're going back here. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up, Siobhan? Will you remind us and tell me a little bit about your parents, your family and how you got into acting in the first place? <sighs> Um, I grew up in a very small village called Arhala in County Cork, halfway between uh, Cork City and McCroom. And uh, I think when I was quite young, I don't. Um, my mother sent me to speech and drama lessons with Francis Crowley and Kilmurray, <laughs> and I think that's where it sort of sparked off, like this idea of standing in the middle of a room and declaiming a poem. You know, the idea mm-hmm. that there was sort of this otherness, this idea of showing off, essentially <laughs> showing off. And uh, and and having access to some of the best writing ever. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very strange thing. I can never, even when I talk to my fellow actors about it, it's just sort of, it's just something, a desire you have. And, you know, I'm at the age now where when my friends started to have children, we'd all be sort of looking at each other and looking at them closely to see if they showed any signs of the madness. Um, and you can sort of tell from a young age who are, who are the kids who are going to, going to be out in, in uh, on the stage and it's not always the the loud ones um mm. or the obnoxious ones but there's something yeah and i went to um uh youth theater with graffiti theater company the amazing graffiti theater company in cork and then when i was in university like my parents thought it was a hobby i thought it was a hobby it was never anything that i thought you could make a living out of and mm. you know i mean it's not how, how would people do it there's a bit more understanding now with drama schools and stuff but the only person I'd ever heard of going to drama school before was Fiona Shaw. Mm-hmm. And, like you know, I just didn't. And I hadn't seen people like me on the telly. So but I, it was an itch I couldn't scratch, as they say. So um, in my final year in 
in drama school, I auditioned for drama schools. Uh, my, my final year in UCC, I auditioned for drama schools in London. See, it's not that interesting when you when you um, have to say it out loud. Um, I should have said that I, a star fell down upon <laughs> me and I was cursed from a young age. Yeah. And where would you say you got your first break? Was it on the stage? I mean, you became well oh, known yeah. from Dairy Girls, but when your first important role for you, when was that and where was that? Oh, Oh my gosh, like um, I, I was working in theatre for at least 10, 15 years before Dairy Girls happened. Dairy Girls is quite a recent thingy for me. And I, mm. when I wanted to be an actor, it was always stage that I wanted to do. It was always the, um, you know, the light bulbs around the mirror and, and, and the, uh, the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd, etc. That's always what I thought acting would be. I had no interest at all in in, in camera work. So, um yeah, no, it's it's always been theatre, anything at all. Like, I think the first play I did out of drama school was in The Everyman um, in Cork, um, which is why it's so wonderful to come back with, with Happy Days to the Opera House to sort of come back home. Yeah, I've, I've, I've worked all over the UK and Ireland. Theatre is my bread and butter. There's nothing to compare to it. And turning to Beckett, and you're going to star as Winnie in the Beckett play Happy Days. I know it's starting at the Cork Opera House as part of Cork Midsummer Festival soon from the 14th to the 17th of June. Then it's going to the Three Olympia here in Dublin from the 21st to the 24th. It's a physically very tough role, isn't it? Not just because it's almost a one person show, um, but it's tough, isn't it, Siobhan, that role? It is. It's quite. Um, I mean, it's. Uh, if people don't know the play, it's quite. I. You probably would have recognised the image. It's a woman buried up to her waist in mm. a mound, <laughs> and as the play goes on, the mound gets higher and higher, and uh, and it, yeah, it's 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 quite a demanding. I remember when I broke my leg, my friend said, "Well, you'll be able to do Happy Days now." But ironically, <laughs> when, when we we've already done this for one live streaming night uh, in the Olymp in the Olympia during lockdown which was an absolutely mm. bizarre experience but it took about 20 minutes for my hands underneath the mound to unfurl from a piece of wood that they were clutching onto so it is it is weirdly even though you're remaining still there's a level of tension and a level of concentration <laughs> that does make it quite physically demanding I mean it's sort of the the uh, opposite of what I'm doing at the moment in Dancing at Lunacy, which is lepping around the Olivier stage, which is one of the largest stages in, in, in Europe, um, and and dancing around and doing the mason's apron to that, to moving from that to uh, to being still in a mound. But there's actually quite a few more, there's a lot more similarities actually in the in the focus, which is, which is weird. You wouldn't think so at all. But yeah, I'm off into the mound. And you're doing that Dancing at Lunacy at the moment. Is it right with Ardell O'Hanlon and Tom Von Lawler? That's right. And with Justine Mitchell and with Louisa Harland that you'd know from Derry yeah. Girls as well, who played Orla McCool. We have Alison Oliver, who um, just was in uh, Conversations with Friends, um, uh, the Sally Rooney show and... Uh, the um, a, another another Cork actress for taking over the world called Lauren McGowan, <laughs> who's playing Rose and our our token our token Englishman, the amazing uh, Tom Riley. So yeah, we're doing we're doing that at the moment. We're going into our last week here at the National Theatre, and it's been an extraordinary experience. Not only because of the fondness that people have for Friel's work mm. here and at home in Ireland. It's it's been a great privilege to be able to to bring that play back, um especially since he has he has uh 
died in the subsequent time since the last last production. Mm. Oh, it's a beautiful play. I loved you as it well. Is. It the, really is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. The TV presenting the great pottery throwdown. You're fabulous. Oh, yeah. How did that come about? Oh my God. I It's so much fun, Miriam. Um, how do, I don't know. I think what they say anyway, when they sort of approach me, was um, I did um, with the girls, I did a sort of a, a charity bake off special. Yeah. And uh, I had a nervous breakdown on it. And I just <laughs> sort of gave up trying to make a trifle. And I decided to just have a bit of fun. And I think they saw that. And so the, the crack I was having and uh, decided to bring me in for uh, they were looking for a new presenter for Pottery Throwdown. They asked if I'd be interested to do it, and I jumped on it because what it meant was that, um, well, first of all, I was a fan of the show. Mm. I was literally watching it during lockdown. And secondly, they film it in in Stoke-on-Trent near the Peak District. And I live in a one-bed flat in central London. To get Mm. out of London during the pandemic was absolute heaven. And we, it's become, we've become family. It's, It's the best fun and it's it, what you see is what you get with pottery throwdown. There's um, there, there, there's no there's no artifice. It's just a group of normal people trying to make stuff out of the mud, while I look at them and cheer them on, and the two judges lovingly appraise them. It's so popular, though. It, you'd never think a show like that would be as successful as it is, but it just is. People just love it. Would you like doing pottery anyway? Didn't you? Well, I had sort of tried, I mean, I hadn't, I, you know, the way you'd look at something and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm sure I could do that. It doesn't look that hard. I'll tell you what, it's really hard. And this, like my admiration for our potters each year grows and grows because I realise how how much work it takes and how much skill and how much concentration. What I particularly love about pottery is that we get people who are on the show in spite of the fact it's on television, not because it's on television. They're there because they want access to our amazing Keith and Rich. They want access to um, Rose's knowledge when it comes to the kiln, um, her technical knowledge. You know, like there's, so you're getting something very human rather than an artifice that we can sort of, everybody now knows how to behave on television because of reality TV and stuff. Whereas there's sort of a, a beautiful innocence, I think, still with our potters and long may it last. Did you know, Siobhan, when you like auditioned and did Dairy Girls, that it would become as big and as popular as it became? I mean, were you aware at the very beginning this could be something huge? Uh, No, I knew that they were uh, the funniest scripts I'd read since Lisa McGee's previous scripts, which Mm. was London Irish. And I, you know, we all thought London Irish was going to take off, but we'd sort of forgotten that um, you can never tell. You can absolutely never tell. Um, it takes such a, a specific mixture of of factors to combine for something to be a success. And I think we hit the magic recipe mm-hmm. when it came to Dairy Girls. And I think part of that magic recipe was the fact that we had an audience waiting for us in a way. Mm-hmm. We had an audience that were waiting for a well-written comedy about that centered girls in it that girls weren't being the boyfriends weren't Mm. being the girlfriends of of the main people that they were actually being the idiots in their own right they were being the clowns in their own right um and so when when the success i knew when i was doing it that it was good i didn't think that that would 
automatically translate into the the worldwide wide phenomenon it's become, which has been so so gratifying. It's so lovely, Re- and not at all expected or taken for granted. And the thing is, it's a comedy, and yet recently, of course, everyone was marking the twenty fifth. Anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. I was involved in that as well. But that Dairy mm-hmm. Girls episode, it was so beautiful and poignant, wasn't it? Just Yeah, voting. I remember when the script yeah. came in, I, I bawled my eyes out. I absolutely, and even now when I, I mean, I haven't gone back to it in a while, but um, yeah, that, that episode is, is a very special thing. And I think, I think the public service it's done to remind people of that time and how far we've come from that time mm. and what is at stake and what was fought for at that time is a very is a very potent thing. And I think personally, my particular taste and philosophy would run to the idea that comedy is where we explore these things, mm. that actually it's comedy that's needed to explore the big, huge human life events and society events, because you know, I'm sure you're the same, Miriam. Like I've had a lot of bereavements in my family. I've had a lot of a lot a lot of a lot of stuff happen. And each time it's always comedy that gets you through. It's a very human thing to try and laugh, to try and make somebody else laugh. It it, it speaks more to our resilience than any sort of clutching of a skull and staring out. Yeah, a window. Sorry, I've got a bit. I've got a the residue of laryngitis at the moment. People think it's because I've been carousing all week because of the bathtub, <laughs> but it's not at all. I was home. I was home, tucked up in bed by half twelve. But I've got a, I've got a bit of laryngitis. I'm yeah. recovering from it. So apologies if my voice is croaky. No, your voice sounds beautiful. Um, I mean, the Thank thing you. is now you're you're going to. Obviously, you're very well known now. Derry Girls was huge and winning that BAFTA. Is there any part of you that worries about that? Because obviously when you're on stage, you do very well, but you're not public property. But now people are going to recognise you. Do you like that or do you fear it? I I I do fear it because I think, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, there's always a backlash, isn't there? I think that's just the way things go. Uh, And I think, unfortunately, I'm very outspoken and I don't have much of a filter. And that leaves me vulnerable for people who who want to, you know, Mm. if they want to, if they want to uh, think badly of me or to or to uh, take my words in bad faith, then then it's it's sort of easier for them. I understand why people um, crave uh, being anonymous and I, I, I. it's 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 a very strange thing. It's a very anti-animal thing. Like you know, from our lizard brains, you know, like mm. it's, if, if if we were visible in the savanna, it meant that we were about to be attacked <laughs> by a predator. Do you know? So it seems yeah. very counterintuitive to be visible. But at the same time, I must admit that ninety-nine percent of the interactions I have from people are so positive, and I I feel that actually. Um, I don't feel the compliment towards myself. What I love is the opportunity that it gives people to tell me about their own experiences, either by having uh, a, a sister Michael in their lives, either by by uh, wanting to do pottery, either by a storyline I'd be doing and how it would how 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 it reminds them of something they've encountered. It's a great privilege to be able to do what I do. It really, really is. That sounds past but it's 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 true you know i get to i get to live so many lives and people get to share very um 
very beautiful things with me. And that's, I, I don't take it for granted, but it is very weird. It's very weird. I'm from Cork. I'm from <laughs> Ireland. Nobody should be looking at me, you know. Um, but, but sure, you know, life's an adventure. I'm trying to have as, as much fun as I can. And But there's huge affection for you, even from our listeners this morning. Oh, Miriam, simply brilliant sister, Michael. She made us cry with laughter like Siobhan. Aww. Another says, I absolutely adore Siobhan. What an amazing woman and so real, which is in sh- such short supply. And I was reading a really good piece, the Examiner at the weekend, exactly about what you were wearing in your dress and what you do matters. But for someone who doesn't, like most women, don't fit into the view of what everyone's meant to fit like or what size we're meant to be and I think that really matters especially to younger women women than you Funnily enough I think younger women are in a much better position than the older generation mm-hmm. um, it, it, I, 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 I think the the younger people I work with at the moment are um, far uh, far more au fait with, uh, they, they've learned from a lot of the mistakes that we've already done and I think also I, uh, you know, art is art and propaganda is propaganda and art is a mirror and propaganda tells you a lie. And the lie that only certain, um, only certain shapes, only mm. certain aesthetics, only certain genders, only certain accents get to live leading lives mm. is propaganda because that's not our lived reality. And as a result, that's not art. And that's not a dialogue I'm interested in having. I mean, that sounds very highfalutin, but essentially everybody thinks that their own mammy is the most beautiful woman in the world. Do you know what I mean? And very few of those mammies will have been on a red carpet. (laughs) And and, and, do you know what I mean? So there's something about the nature of our human experience that goes beyond the superficiality and and, and frankly misogyny of of these sort of aesthetics of like being skinny and going on a on a red carpet. We know that that's not true. We know it. Yeah. So, um, so it seems very much like a lie to say otherwise. Are you superb? Um, Brian McAree just texted to say, I asked a fellow student in UL, University of Limerick from Algeria, why she came to Ireland to study and she answered, Dairy Girls. <laughs> so oh there you go. Oh my gosh, really? You're stretching to Algeria at this stage. Oh, wow. Oh, how amazing is that? How amazing. I get so, like, uh, India. I wouldn't have thought uh, <laughs> 90s in Derry growing up <laughs> there uh, you go. Would, would speak so much to people in India. But I get such beautiful messages there. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, look, Siobhan, you're going to be starring in Happy Days at the Cork Opera House as part of Cork, Cork Midsummer Festival from the 14th to the 17th of June. Then it's going to the Three Olympia Theatre here in Dublin from the 21st to the 24th of June, produced by Landmark Productions. Congrats on your BAFTA. Congrats on everything. You're a fab person, Siobhan. And thanks for chatting to me this morning. Mary, an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. Mind yourself. Take care. We'll take a break.